Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex, and as ever, I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Bruno. How are you doing? Doing good, man. It's lovely to have you back. I mean, I can't believe it's episode three already, but that's uh, that's one thing. The main thing I'd like to do is introduce our special guest. I'm delighted to welcome Ollie to the pod. You'll better know him as TalkCPFC on Twitter. How are you doing, Ollie? Yeah, good, mate. Some people might know me as Talk Brighton on Twitter as well. So <laughs> just that's that's what Brighton fans out there. Uh, no, good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. No, pleasure to have you here, mate. I mean, we, we all know you're absolutely obsessed with the Seagulls, you know, can't stop winding them up. It's You've got this sort of sanguine reputation about you. So, you know, I'm sure we'll do some rustling today as well. But yeah, great to have you here. Um, before we get into the Villa game, we had a bit of breaking news fresh off the rumour mill that I'd like to discuss. So, as you know, we've been sort of tenuously linked through elements of the French press and the British press with uh, Bubakari Sumare from Leicester City for some time now. But Sky really doubled down on this. They've already put two things out in the transfer centre and, you know, Rob Dorsett put out on a tweet, um, just basically reiterating our interest in him. Um, just in case you're unfamiliar with the links, uh, he was bought for about 17 million last summer, but he's really failed to make the grade under Brendan Rodgers. He's this sort of versatile, kind of deep lying midfielder, lots of energy, ability to shuttle, but he's not really sort of lived up to the hype that came surrounding him when he when he really joined the Foxes. Um, obviously, he won the title with Lille and you know, it was very much a linchpin in their midfield. So, Bruno, I mean, you, you, you've really been doing your analysis on this. Where's it gone wrong for him? And should we make a move for him? Well, Samare had a really successful 2021 season for Lille in uh, Ligue 1. They won the league that season. Um, but when he moved to Leicester, Rogers had a, Brendan Rodgers had a lot of doubts about his ability to physically adapt to the Premier League. And that's something we've also seen from Shek to Corey so far this season. Um, with him being substituted due to cramp uh, both against Arsenal and against Liverpool and he seems to have uh, fixed that part of his game uh, against Villa. Um, I believe the direct concern was that he wasn't tracking back as much so that's why he struggled for game time despite the injury that indeed he suffered last season for Leicester um, and that's why he may not be the right player for us because although he brings the physicality uh, and an aerial prowess that we've missed now that Kiate's gone. Uh, I believe comparing the two of them, Sumare is equal in terms of uh, aerials one in percentage, uh, comparing Kiate last season and uh, Sumare last season. But I just don't think he has that, um, or hasn't shown that pace or ability to adapt to the rigors of the Premier League so far. So it's a pretty risky move, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting take because obviously we know Decore is being trusted as the Kiyote replacement directly. He's this anchor. You know, we saw it against Villa, but we'll get into that later. You know, he's this very much this ball winner. He brings energy, but also a sort of defensive dynamism that we've also been lacking with Kiyote. So, you know, we very much got that kind of uh, that kind of holding role locked down. So if that is the role that he's best suited to, which he might not be, you know, do we actually need him, particularly if Decore is, is, is outclassing him? I mean, what are your thoughts, Ollie? I think that I I'm always a big a big trustee of uh, of Dougie and Parish and there are very few players who I see us linked with where I go oh, absolutely not. I think the fact that he was the subject of a big money move, what like last summer, shows there's obviously something in there. The fact that Monaco are even bidding for him this summer shows there's still something there to be to be exploited. I do think that we I think Decore is a big upgrade on Kiate, but I also think that having a big presence in midfield is just good to have like around the squad. And I feel like we don't really have that. Although we have a lot more technical ability, I think, than we did 
we have done previously, even if you're going to use him in a, in a way where he comes on for the last 20 minutes when we're getting an aerial bombardment or you just want to shore things up a little bit. Or even, you know, I saw chatter today that it could mean Decore moves a bit further forward because obviously I'm pretty sure he can play in a bit more of an advanced role. Um, obviously, it's got to be for the right price as well. I mean, they signed him for what, like 17, 18 million and they want to get most of that back. So can I see us dropping that on a player who you can't even guarantee would start for us? No, like, I don't think that's the kind of thing we would do, especially when we probably have more more pressing issues than another DM, perhaps. I don't know. That that's I, I could definitely see it happening. I could see us probably dragging this out until deadline day and getting a good deal, but it would have to be a good deal for us to pursue it, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, very good analysis there. I mean, speaking of pressing issues, Bruno's been looking at some numbers in more detail. I mean, could you take us through the FB ref stuff in more detail? Because I know you had a look at his pressing stats and exactly what he's offering. Could you bring up some numbers and, like, compare him to similar positions because I think what you said about Decore was interesting and again I think there's a lot more that can be said on that Bruno. Yeah in terms of playing time uh, I compared Sumare's um, starts and minutes played compared to Kiate, Sangare, another player we're linked with of course, Downs who we missed out on and Decore um, and that's all across their 21-22 seasons with the exception of Sumare who I um looked at the season before he moved to Leicester, because that's where he really excelled. And even then, Samari played the least out of all of those players. And then I believe that could have had the impact on his um, sort of slower pace and lack of stamina and ability to track back when he did move to the Premier League. So that's one thing to take into account, is that he hasn't yet had, or rather experienced, the um, sort of full season in, at, at a pro level yet. So he hasn't gone through maybe 30 fixtures. He's had 21 starts and 32 matches played that season in 2021. So that's a lot less than Flynn Downs, who had, say, 37, or Decore, who had 34 matches played. So I agree with Oli that his physical presence would be needed and that uh, bringing him on late games, similarly to how we use Kiate at times last season, could be beneficial. But it's really not worth spending, I'd say, in my opinion, maybe upwards of £12 million on. I mean, that's slightly more than we paid for Will Hughes, who's been that player for us. And Samari maybe has a bit more um, unique qualities than Hughes. But I feel like the fact he's failed to adapt so far in the Premier League concerns me quite a lot. Yeah, it is a really interesting point worth noting about Hughes and also his ability to adapt. I mean, even Decore is having teething pains at times. He still looks very tidy, but ostensibly from everything we can see he's a better player to Corey so there is always going to be that question of you know is it a case of Leicester not being able to get the best out of him or is he just a bit shit at this level you know there's always got to be that discussion and then Hughes is another ballpark you know do we actually need someone who let's be real fits into the mold that Hughes and to Corey between them do you know what's he adding that they don't I mean there is that element of numbers that that Ollie Riley discusses but you know, does he actually have the presence that we think he does? I mean, Ollie, what do you think of the, the criticism that he might not be up to it? I mean, do you think it's a case of the race is already, like, run? Do we already know what we're getting with him? Or is there an element here that, you know, perhaps Vieira could get the best out of him and, and deploy him in a way that is completely different to the way that he's being used at Leicester? I think that it, you can never really definitively say, I think Bruno makes a good point, that if a player isn't playing consistently for a season, then it's difficult to judge them. We, we saw that with players last year. Like that you, It takes a while to get up to speed. Um, part of me thinks that 
this this kind of come out of nowhere in a, in a way. But my my guess, knowing how the club is generally run, is that he's someone who we would have probably looked at when he was playing in France, and the opportunity has come up now to sign him for potentially less than we would have had to sign him for last year. Like we, I think that it's probably quite an opportunistic signing. And I don't think that it's really a, a case of he's been our number one target for X amount of years. Like, and we want, and now's the time to get him. I think they've thought, hang on a minute. This is a player who we really rated. We valued him at X. Leicester could probably sell him for less than that. It's worth, it's just worth a punt. And I think, 12 million or 12, 15 million, let's, let's, let's say ceiling of 15. That's not cheap by any means, like, especially when you look at how much we've spent on players over the past few years, even in the rebuild, we've not gone north of like 25, have we? So I think 15 isn't cheap, but equally, if there's an upside there where they think he's young, he's had a good season in France and he could potentially turn into a 30 million or a 35 million, then I'm, I'm all for that. I think, a club like us should be looking at like undercutting teams to get players in for less than we think they're worth. And I think that is what's happened here. And if we were to sign him, we would think it would be, as I said, a great deal rather than him being a number one target and, you know, uh, Dougie or Parrish or Vieira like really, really wanting him, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one thing we need to look at is um, how he would affect our tactical setup if he were to start games. So it looks like if he were to come in and play as a DM, which he's definitely more of a natural uh, DM than Decore, who has that versatility to play higher up the pitch, we sort of move Decore into that previously played Maca role um, and maybe put Eze in the sort of Conor Gallagher role. And But we've tried that in preseason and Eze hasn't quite... He's just not that sort of player. And it concerns me that perhaps Eze's lack of pace compared to a player like Schlupp and that in combination with Decore and Sumare not being the quickest or the most workhorsey of players could impact our ability to control the midfield and win the ball back. But alternatively, maybe giving Decore the license to roam forward a bit more and Eze especially more freedom could really help set us up with building from the back and building more slowly in a possession-based side. So I'm not sure. You've got to look at the positives and the negatives to know or even suggest whether Sumare could be a good signing for us um I think that workhorse point is is a good point it, it feels I, I think if you if you're going to go and spend that money on a midfielder regardless of how good a deal we think it is there must be a plan on how our midfield will set up because it does seem maybe a little bit odd to I'm not saying we don't need a DM and I think if Decore was to get injured then you don't particularly want to be relying on Luca. Um, even though I think he's looked okay when he's come on, but it's such a small sample size and obviously he's had a really poor few years. It does seem a little strange in some ways when it feels like we are lacking that workhorse midfielder. And if we're willing to spend £15 million on a midfielder, then you'd think that either we've got enough money to go and buy another one potentially, or we think we can get someone on loan, e.g. Gallagher, or we think we can reset the team up in order to fill that hole because that is... Even though I think Schlupp has done all right, I don't think he is the answer in that role. And that is the one I'd be prioritising a lot more than a DM to potentially sit on the bench and be used as a sub if Decore is fit every week. 
Rhythm is a dancer. Jeff Schlupp is not the answer. <laughs> you, exactly. You, you, you beat me to it. You, you beat me to it. Genuinely, it's the first thing I could think of when you said that. I'm, I'm actually a bit pissed off at you, Bruno. How <laughs> dare you steal my thunder like that? No, it's fine. You heard it here first, folks. Jeff Schlupp is not the answer. Um, speaking of midfielders, um, I think I was going to discuss the Hussamawa rumours because I think it's something that there's still a lot to be said for. Obviously, there was a lot of talk that he was advancing on a move to Nottingham Forest for a fee of around... Uh, 15 million euros, although there's uh, the speculation that Forrest weren't willing to pay that, hence why the deal's stalled. Uh, he can play in a variety of positions all in the midfield. That's a proven Champions League pedigree, but very much fell off in recent seasons. So Bruno, what are your thoughts on Alwar as a potential alternative to uh, Sumare and maybe as a Gallagher replacement? Well, similar to um, Sumare, you've got to look at how it would tactically affect us, because Eze has benefited the most when he's allowed to sort of free roam the attacking third, drift wide, drift inside... Uh, and Awar would take that away from him rather than give it to him the way Sumari would because Awar is similarly sort of a bit more of a dribbler, a bit more of a progressive player and likes to roam a lot further forward. And that midfield cover just wouldn't be there for Eze or from Eze to Awar. So I feel like they wouldn't both be allowed to work freely in one midfield and that could impact their effectiveness. Awar is an extremely impressive player from a statistics standpoint. Against attacking midfielders, he excels uh, in the passing demographic. And against wingers, he excels in the goal scoring and uh, assisting categories as well. The only area he really lacks is defensively. Pressures, tackles, interceptions, blocks, clearances. He is very low percentiles for those. And that is why I don't think he would work in a midfield with Eze and Decore or Sumare. But I feel like if he were to come in, and join us, we'd have to play him alongside Jeffrey Schlupp and probably Decore in that deeper role. I don't think it would work with him and Eze coinciding, but that's that's just what I think. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I do think there's probably a world where um, there's there's suggestions to me that obviously Vieira views Wilf as a potential striker, so there's, there's maybe a world where a front three of Eze, Wilf and Elise plays, and you can then have a spot for someone like our our however you pronounce the name um in there for me that deal is just like kind of full of red flags in that he obviously is a quality player like he was linked to arsenal for what 60 odd million a few years ago why now is no one willing to take a risk on him for 15 unless he's the one who's rejecting those moves because i'm pretty sure his contract's out next summer um I, i do think that like we now are in the unique position, well, for us, unique position where we have a manager who is genuinely really desirable to play for. And obviously Vieira is a French legend. He's won the World Cup. He is the kind of player who demands respect from, or the kind of manager, sorry, who demands respect from all players. But I don't know, there's, there's just something about that rumour when it came out where, A, it didn't, I wasn't that excited by it, even though he's clearly quality. And B, I just, he just does not seem like the kind of player we would sign at the moment. It just didn't, that the two worlds didn't align for me. I can't see him at Palace for, for whatever reason. Maybe that's just me being irrational, but that's, that was my, my take on it when I saw the rumour for the first time. Yeah, when I came across the links, I thought, if he's going to Forest, fucking hell, they're, they're punching. You know, he almost seems too good for that calibre. And again, that raised a red flag. You know, why why is this even being considered? All right, maybe he's fallen off, but surely someone of his calibre should be demanding higher. You know, it's something that 
I always found particularly surprising. Um, and whether the deal can actually be done remains to be seen. Whether we're even interested in, in the same way also remains to be seen. So there's a lot of things that weren't quite right to me. But I think it's a really valid point about how he fits in with the rest of the midfield. You know, you think about the way that Gallagher played last season. I mean, the, the statistical overview of him sounds exactly like Gallagher in terms of our main criticisms as a fan base and our main positives, you know. Obviously, great going forward, getting goals. He was a creative threat, but not necessarily as good tracking back and defending. He wasn't winning those pressures. He wasn't, you know, winning his tackles and winning the ball back in the same way that you might hope that someone of, you know, his pivotal role would. So that, again, leaves the question of, how do you fit everyone in? Well, I think your Zaha answer there was pretty astute. But again, do we really want to trust Zaha as a striker all the time? He can score them. We don't. That's not. A, that's not the question here. It's the case of, you know, is Zaha arguably more destructive, dragging people wide on the wing? You know, that's again a very separate question. But there's so many things here that aren't quite right about the Awar deal. As brilliant as he is, and as much as I would absolutely take him. There's also a lot of things that could go wrong with that. A lot of things that would disrupt the flow and harmony of the team would require massive tactical setup adjustments. So, again, there's so much to discuss there and unpack, but I'm wary of time and I don't want to ignore what was undoubtedly one of the best spectacles I've probably witnessed for a long time. Um, it was a thrilling game, particularly the first half. Um, Bruno, would you like to take me through what was the... Uh, I suppose it started as a car crash and ended up being a, being a bloody good game. How was how did you find the Villa game? I'll be honest, I didn't watch the first ten minutes. I've been out uh, for a lunch with my family, and I was sort of sprinting back ahead of everyone else because uh, it was it was a walk away. I had my phone desperately trying to get connection. I was on three G. I was spam clicking the commentary button on the Palace app, um, and then I got the Premier League notification that Villa had scored, and I just felt like my whole run had been for nothing. And then maybe five seconds later came the Wilf notification. Um, and I sort of ran about the front lawn for a bit, waiting for my granddad to show up with the keys. Um, and then eventually I got inside and I realized that we were in it to win it. We seriously showed up after that for those first 10 minutes, however hectic they were. We were playing the ball around them with confidence, with style. It was like I was watching arsenal perhaps at their best under i'm gonna say unai emery because i can't bring myself to compare it to wenger just yet but you know they had their games where it looked like the arsenal of old and i'm gonna say that's kind of how we were playing um we weren't relying too heavily on the anderson long ball although it did provide um a medium of attack at times throughout the game and we were actually building up from defense through midfield out wide and then back into the box and i believe the best way that was shown was through the goal later on i mean Although Villa had their chances, I think the two best ones fell to Buendia and uh, Bailey. You never really felt that they were in the game. No. I just think the way we managed to keep a lid on them, for the most part, for the most part, there are still, you know, issues with our performance. We didn't take all of our chances. We still gave them opportunities. I'm really satisfied with how we played. I think it's possibly from a build-up perspective our best performance under Vieira uh, that might be a bit of a stretch but I just feel we were much more free-flowing much more coherent and looked like we were enjoying ourselves up there Eze especially I mean I was laughing whenever he got on the ball because I just wanted to see what ridiculous fun thing he would pull out and then he went on that run past five players and oh my god I've never been I was just laughing to myself honestly I was like a little kid 
Yeah, it was so joyous to watch. I mean, he he was the master of the escape. You know, he was an artist in the way he could just, you know, you, you, you think it's impossible when you see these situations where he's absolutely swamped by so many people. And then he, out of nothing, just drops a shoulder, spins, runs past, pops off a great pass. It's crazy. I mean, if there wasn't, if you ever needed a good testament to Eze's ability, there it is. You know, it was a, I don't want to quite say man of the match performance because obviously Wilf with his two goals was the man of the match. But, um, you know, Eze was so hugely influential despite not getting any goals or assists that game as far as I'm aware. So, you know, it was a fantastic performance from not just Eze, but so many players. Um, I remember genuinely, I, I, I managed to get a free ticket. Um, basically, it was my mate's dad's best mate's like season ticket it was a long story but yeah I was sat right by the tunnel so I had a really good view of when Watkins was in on goal and just you know the moment he had the ball I thought oh, fuck you know I didn't I didn't even bother to check whether he'd score or not I just knew it and then when Wilf went up the other end and scored I went crazy I think everyone did um in fact I think I jumped and I was like slashed the back of my leg against the uh, metal on the chair so I got a big cut there and it still wasn't as gash as Villa after those first 10 minutes because they <laughs> were fucking awful um, were you there, Ollie? I was, yeah, I was. Um, it was, I completely agree about Eze. Like, I, I, I tweeted after, uh, before the Arsenal game, the first one after lockdown, that Eze kind of just felt like some, like, COVID dream who didn't actually exist because then he didn't, I didn't <laughs> see him play live yeah. for, a, for a year. And even then, when, like, end of last season, uh, the beginning of this against Arsenal, he just wasn't quite at, at that level which we saw. Um, but watching him on on Saturday, it was just like, oh, it was just like joyous is exactly the word. He just, I forgot how easily he glides past players and he makes everything look so, so easy. Um, I, I think, yeah, we, we on another day, maybe last year, year before, our heads drop after that first goal. Um, but like the fact that we then had not only the the kind of character to respond basically instantly, but the quality of the goal, like the Zaha to score from that angle on his left foot. It just, the, the whole performance screamed like, we're actually a really, really good team. Like the, we yeah. we were brilliant. Um, one one thing I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on is obviously there's, a, there's still the big striker debate about Eduard Mateta. People will say... Because because Mateta scored, he should start the next game. There's there's just something about Edouard when he plays where I feel like we play better as a team. I think when you say that we weren't over relying on Anderson's long ball, I completely agreed with that. Like that's so true compared to the Arsenal game where it felt like every single attack was a diagonal or down the line. I think against teams like Villa where we can have a bit more of the ball, we can be a bit more confident. Having Edouard who has a genuine threat with the ball at his feet. And his link-up play, his understanding, it seemed, with Eze and Wilf was really, really good. Even though he didn't score and even though he missed, obviously, a really good chance in the second half, for me, he is in our best team. Even though I really like Mateta, for me, he should be starting up front for us because we just look better. It's a, it's a very vague thing to say, but I think we just look like a, a much better team. Well, I mean, I completely agree. Um, Edward brings this... I'm going to say comfort when he's on the ball. He just has a calmness and a smoothness that makes you feel like you're more solid in possession. However, saying he... We do play better with him, but I also feel we play better with Mateta in another sort of game. You know, I'm going to use Newcastle away as a reference last season. We played with uh, Edward as our sole striker, 
and it really backfired for us. I think that was one of the first games he played for a while, and everyone was calling for it, and then he was just a huge letdown. Then Mateta came on, caused problems. Mateta's physicality, especially as a substitute, but also starting, is extremely beneficial for us. And there are a lot of games where his ability to link up play and sort of play as that focal point and as that target man and lay it off to wingers has really, really benefited us. I'm going to say the Brighton goal with Conor Gallagher, that was one where he played a big role. Um, Millwall, I know he scored one, but also his uh, little footwork and layoff to Elise was important as well. Or I think it was to Gallagher and then to Elise. So uh, there's a really complicated conversation to be had there. We have a lot of good attacking options. Um, I think it depends a lot about the opposition. I think Edward is the sort of player where he would help us control the ball better in games where we wouldn't otherwise. And that's also supported by the fact he uh, makes more pressures than Matessa. And a lot of pressures. I think he's one of the best in the league for it. So in my opinion, I think Edward's the sort of player we should be playing against sort of top six sides and sides who would normally be expected to dominate possession, but we would want to do that against and feel like we'd not be risking too much by going for it. So I'm going to say the Arsenal's of the world or maybe the Chelsea's. But against lower-grade opposition who perhaps play a low block, I'd say Matessa would probably be much more effective because he'd be able to cause problems in the box and we could put a ball in the box and he would just ask those questions of the opposition defenders in dangerous positions in ways that Edward otherwise wouldn't because he doesn't have that same presence. That That's just how I feel about it. And I'd honestly really like to see them play together. I think we've seen it once, the two of them, against Liverpool last season at home. They um, linked up for a great goal, should have had more. It seriously, seriously caused trouble. Uh, so I'd like to see more of that personally. But yeah, tell me your thoughts, Ollie, as well. The, I definitely agree with the front, with them two playing up front together. Obviously, it's very difficult to fit everyone in, uh, which is a massive luxury. And I feel like I've not been able to say that about Palace for like 10 Absolutely. years up until last year. I, one thing I, I have been surprised about particularly with the absence of Elise, is we haven't used Edouard out wide more because there was a period last year where he did play out wide. I think he's, I can't remember which games it was, but he obviously played off the left a bit when Wilf was out. And I don't think that he should play off the left if Wilf is playing. Wilf should always be the left and other people need to fit around him. But there was one game where he played off the right and I was really impressed. And I thought that this would be something which we'd see him do more of. And it surprised me that we haven't because I think he's got, as you said, he's he's a workhorse. He he runs a lot. He tries hard defensively. I think he, I mean, you're probably talking to the wrong person about Jordan Ayew. I obviously don't rate Ayew, as a lot of people will <laughs> know. I'm surprised. Don't worry, we agree. Good, that's what I like to hear. I'm, I'm just surprised that they <laughs> haven't used Edouard out wide more because like, he every time he played there last year, he really impressed me. And it feels like there's a gap there. It's often, if Elise's not fit and we've not used him in a long time. And I'm intrigued to know your guys' thoughts on why that might be. Well, at left wing, he might be... He definitely was better last season, I feel. He... he um, I don't know. It's complicated. At left wing, Edward was more impressive, I'd say, than he was at striker at times last season. I think we saw that Arsenal away, especially when he got that goal. Um, maybe Newcastle as well, when he was interchanging with Wilf. We saw that uh, at Manchester City away as well. But at the same time, we saw him moved on to the right in some games, and he was basically completely out of the game. So if we are to play him as a winger, it would have to be on the left-hand side, and that would involve 
if we're missing Elise here moving Zaha to the right. And that doesn't really sit with me because I'd much rather play someone like Ebiway or even Ayu who bring who actually have a involvement on the right hand side rather than Edward who would just be a sort of non factor. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I still think there's uh, the jury's still out on Edouard on the right. I mean, frankly, there's simply not enough games in which we've seen him in that role to really make a fair assessment. But I don't doubt that Oli's got a point in that he's at least shown sparks there, as he has through all the front line, you know. I think it's a question of really nailing down exactly where he fits into this team in a more general sense, because clearly he's not he's not a target man. He's not an out-and-out out number nine, but he's got this sort of disruptive energy about him, this ability to just cause chaos. And I, I, I think his best ability is not so much what he does on the ball and, and, and his own scoring ability, it's what he does to those around him. You know, he drags people away out of position. He gets the best out of Wilf, I think, in particular. Um, I think we really saw that against Villa at times. But, um, you know, I, I still think Edouard's got something to prove. That's my biggest issue here. I think in terms of raw quality... I think he's the best striker, like no doubt, uh, you know, particularly compared to Matata and Ayu. But Matata just has this ability. He does the job, you know, he, he doesn't press in the same way, but he bullies defenders, gets shots off. He's much more confident in front of goal, Matata. That's my big issue. Um, I still think Edouard is this kind of, we know his quality. We know he's got ability. We just don't know how to best use it yet. And I think it's still an enigma that's like just bugging everyone from the fans right down to the coaching team. You know, he's not, he's this kind of awkward fit that shouldn't be because we know he's got the like the potential to be a great striker. Um, if I had to pick between the two, if we're really asking the, the, the sort of yes and no questions here, you know, I would start Mateta, but that's a tentative opinion there because um, Mateta for me is just, you know, even if the stats don't back him up in terms of pressing, he just scores the goals. He takes. He doesn't take too many touches like Edward. He just scores. I mean, the half volley was. You know, he'd only just come off the bench. I mean, it was sublime. I could see it in the in the lower homestead. The way he was bullying Mings was laughable. I mean, by the way, if Mings ever gets on that plane to Qatar, I'm going to drop a bollock because he's gash. But that's another story. Um, you know, I delighted in watching him get tossed around by Mateta because I think Mateta is is up to it at this level. He's the only striker I think of the two that really has proven his ability to adapt seamlessly to the Premier League, even if his game is not nearly as complete as Edouard's. And all the while he's banging in the goals, I think, you know, that that's the most important thing, unfortunately, which is a very sort of Yadar after a few pints opinion, but it's it's how I feel. You know, I think Edouard, I love him to bits, but he's not justifying himself in the same way for, for 90 minutes, at least. You know, started by all means, but, you know, I don't trust him to score like I trust Mateta. Anyway, Bruno, what are your what are your thoughts on on the whole Matessa thing? Because we haven't really discussed him in the same way. Matessa is someone I want to defend because both of you mentioned earlier. You know, Wilf had to be your map your your man of the match for Aston Villa, even though Eze was so excellent. And I think that shows that we focus way too much on goal involvements when it comes to deciding who's had the best performance of the day, because a player could completely dictate the game from midfield, or you know, like Anderson have such an influence uh, on our build-up or defensively and not get that credit just because the players scored a goal and got an assist or scored two goals. Let's not forget, Wilf was excellent. I mean, seriously impressive. I think it's the first time I've seen him really attempt to... I don't want to sound like I'm calling him a diver because I really don't think he is, but he stayed on his feet. He got straight back up. He kept on wrestling. He kept on fighting. That's what I want to see from him more. But I just feel like as a... His over the way he changed the game, not just in terms of 
on the pitch, but also the atmosphere of the fans. You can't underrate the importance of beating man or getting past someone and the roar that, you know, the fans in the Homesdale or the Arthur are going to make when someone makes that move. It just sparks the players into performing better. And I think that's what Eze did. He catalyzed um, the fight back that we, um, that we pulled off against Villa. And sort of going back to Matessa and that, and that main point, Matessa gets the goals, but I also think it's unfair to say he's less complete than Edward. I feel Matessa, Matessa gets a bad reputation simply because he runs and looks a bit like a donkey. Um, <laughs> he's six foot four. He's sort of jangly all about the place, but he's got, statistically, he's a better dribbler than Edward. The way he can take a ball down that's been pumped up the pitch is better than Edward. The way he Honestly, he passes is probably better than Edward. I mean, the way he's you know lays the ball off, he can chip a ball. He, we may not have seen it too much from him here yet, but um, at Mainz it was a serious part of his game. He was really involved in that whole aspect, and I think it's important we don't underrate Mateta's ability to help uh, link up players as a striker. I mentioned it earlier, but as a central focal point, which I've also mentioned earlier, Mateta is the best probably footballer at this club for that specific role. Because he's got sheer strength, sheer determination, aggression. He's got like this childlike desire to get on the ball. And it's something you don't see from many players. I think Eze maybe has it, but he doesn't want it as much. I feel like he doesn't want the ball as much as Mateta. And even Edward sometimes feels like he doesn't want to get involved too much. Although his drifting runs that create space for Wilf are very useful. I mean, it's a serious debate. It's really difficult to come with a clear winner, which means I don't think we should have to generalise. I really think it should depend on the opposition. Well, I'm going to fly in the face of what you've just said about generalising by asking you the most simple question, just a sort of Eduard or Mateta. Who do you want to start against City, Bruno? Eduard. Like I've said, I think he's better against higher quality or opposition. But at the same time, we might drop both of them and go to the five-back we saw against Liverpool. So maybe we're both wrong. Yeah, maybe. Ollie. Yeah, it's it's Edward for me as well. Um, I think if you're if you're playing a game where, you know, we saw it against against Newcastle for City yesterday, that there's going to be chances to run at the defence. And I know maybe statistically, Mateta is still a good still good in the ball. But in that situation, if you've got a counter attack and it's a three on three, I would always want Edward in that situation, not Mateta. Yeah. It's a very good point. I mean, again, I'm. I thought there was going to be a lot more pushback on that. I'm surprised we're all saying it towards, because again, I'm very much of the opinion that yeah, all right, Matata bags the goals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I really rate him. I think you know, on the whole, he's doing the job we need him to do. But in a game like that against City, where you let's be real, we're probably going to start the game under the cosh and just look to play on the counter, as you say, you want the pace of Edouard. You want him to get the best out of Wilf on the left in particular. Um, you know, you want his movement, his ability to press. These are the things that mean we do so well against City like we did last season, you know. I think Edouard's a key ingredient there. So I'm surprisingly agreeing with all of you, which, I, which again, I thought someone would say Mateta and be that guy. It's not going to be me, but, you know, we move, we move. Um, just briefly to wrap up on Villa, we've obviously discussed um, the, uh, the, the first goal, the chaos at the start. I mean, obviously, Bailey splits the defenders brilliantly and slips them in. It was also just a calamity in terms of a of a team shape perspective, but that's that's something there's not really too much to say. You know, it was just very good link up play very quickly. Um, we've obviously discussed the Wolf comeback, but I think one of the things that we haven't touched upon yet is the penalty because, you know, I've seen this being discussed and debated quite a bit. Obviously, Zaha 
you know, I mean, we couldn't even see it in the stand why it was given as a handball, but, you know, on the replay, you clearly see that Gay's head is guided on into the goalkeeper's gloves by Dinya's outstretched arm. So it was a very much a rightful handball. I don't think any of us are debating that. But um, Wolf's technique and, you know, is something that's come under scrutiny because obviously Martinez doesn't really have to do too much other than do a very sort of half-assed dive and he, he sort of catches his legs, I believe, and and saves the initial penalty. Now, obviously Zaha is, is followed up on the rebound. It, it falls to him very generously. But do any of you actually have any concerns about Zaha being on penalties? You know, we've seen Eduard at Celtic smashing them in for fun. And obviously when Lucas on the pitch, we know he's generally okay at them. You know, we've relied on that for one year and, and so on. So... Do you have any concerns about our penalties at the moment? I yeah, I I would say I do. Like even though, even though I do think that it was a good save, I think like it was a strong hand and Martinez is a good penalty saver. I think he saved a decent amount. Um, just like for Argentina for for Villa as well. Like you're right. Like will I would say Will's technique is like objectively not good when it comes to penalties. He just doesn't look stable at all. Um, to be fair to him, he has got a good record, but has he now? I think he might have missed his last two now. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not mentally ready for Eze to do his like walk up and just pass it into one corner. <laughs> so I, I definitely don't want us to do that instead. Um, but I agree. Like Elise, yeah, that's the thing. It feels like Elise probably has the temperament and definitely has the technique. You would think, um, but I guess I, the thing with Wilf is I feel like he's even though he. He's got a weird technique. He he does generally hit the corners. Like his penalty against Brighton last year was excellent, and he's like the main man. I think he he would probably want it more than anyone else, and it it feels like that's a responsibility that has kind of become a bit symbolic with his like maturity as a player. Maybe I'm looking too deep into that, but that's that's how I see that. Yeah, Bruno, what's your take? I want Wilf on them purely so he can get his highest goal scoring tally for us yeah. and maybe you know work his way towards a hundred Premier League goals or just a hundred goals rather. But um I don't know. I really like Edward's penalty technique. He had a good record in uh in Scotland. Uh we saw him I think he's taken one for us and it was a goal against Norwich, right? So Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'd like to see Eze and Elise on penalties to be honest, because I've seen Quite a lot of those. Um, I've watched quite a lot of their games in the championship. I think you're right, Ollie. I think it would be terrifying to watch them just swagger up and pass it into the net. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if Wilf isn't there, I'd say it has to go to Edward. Uh, and I'd say if Edward isn't there and Wilf isn't there, then I, I kind of want to say Lucas, to be honest. But at that point, it's got to be Elise Arese. That That's just how I feel about it. But I'm going to briefly move on to the decision itself. And I'm going to say that to me it felt like karma because we had that exact penalty decision given against us, I think, two years ago. I don't know if you remember Everton at home in the COVID season when uh, the ball was headed straight onto Joel Ward's arm. It was almost identical. Um, And that made me feel like, given Villa's famous Premier League luck with VAR, you know, with the ball crossing the line and keeping them up, I think... It might just be a little bit of a way of the universe setting it right, but that's just my <laughs> view on it. I mean, it's it's a debatable penalty, and the fact that I'm pulling in past um, past events to back it up makes me feel like maybe I am wrong in saying that it's a valid penalty, but I still think you... <sighs> it's really difficult, but I'm going to say that it's actually the right call for the penalty. Can I... Uh, two things for that... I... 
I think actually, also weirdly enough, that Everton penalty, it was Luca Dean who headed the ball uh, into Joel Ward's arm. So that's kind of a nice full circle thing that's happened there. Um, I I was like, I sit on the on that side of the goal in the Homesdale and I, I said it was a penalty in real time. I said, after Gay headed it, I said, that's hit him on the arm, that's going to be given as a penalty. I, I do... <laughs> I do think it's soft in some ways, but yeah, I mean that's given every in every Premier League game now, and has been for the last two or three years. I, I don't, I don't really see how Gerard can like make a big deal of that being a harsh penalty because I think that is given every time now. And to be fair, also I know that Dean couldn't do much and saying, oh well, I think Gerard said, well he wasn't trying to gain an advantage. Well, like 75% of penalties these days are players aren't trying to gain an advantage. They've accidentally done something. Um, I will say Gay's header was on target and it definitely affected where the ball was going. It was obviously way too too close to really properly judge that, but it ended up going basically straight at Martinez via an arm deflection. So I, I, I completely see why it was given. I'd said in real time, I thought it was a penalty. Um, so I, I, I think the complaints are a little bit a little bit scapegoaty from Gerard. I think if that was given against us, I wouldn't complain that much. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And also, speaking of full circle, reminds me of that Mark Gay handball against Leeds United as well when they got that last-minute penalty. It just something about it felt like we've gotten our luck at last, especially considering some of the games last season where we didn't take our chances. So I think that penalty made us a lot more comfortable. Um, it allowed us to express ourselves to bring on Elise and Mateta, which let us get the third goal. So, yeah, I'm happy with it. I'm, I think when you look at the gay header, especially in how it was on target and possibly going in, I think it's definitely the right decision. That's what makes up my mind. Alex, what about you? Yeah, again, I, I've kind of touched on it. There was no question for me. Um, I don't want to go over all territory, so I'll just say it. You know, that was a shot on target from Gay. It was a good header. And when you really see it in slow motion, you realise that the trajectory of the shot was altered quite significantly by Dina's arm. Not, not, it didn't look too dramatic because it was just a float that then like skidded off the arm into the gloves. But it does change the angle ever so slightly to the point where it's very comfortable for Martinez as opposed to, you know, warranting a big save or something. Potentially even a goal. So whilst it's not clear-cut goal stopping, there is a case that it could have been. So in that vein, I think it has to be a penalty. And of course, you know, Zaha, again, I completely agree with the technique, as we discussed earlier. I don't trust it, but, you know, at the end of the day, his record is fairly good. And even of the three or four that have been saved, he's obviously rebounded two of them back in. So that's at least something. If you actually look at missed miss penalties where we haven't really had a goal off the back of it, we were talking a fraction. It's very, very small minority compared to the ones we've taken. So... You know, I have no real issue with how it panned out. I have no real contention and ultimately think Gerard has done a Lampard. <laughs> That's quite <laughs> ironic. But, um, you know, I, I, I felt it was it was fairly justified and, and we got our award. Um, finally, I'd like to talk about uh, Matata's goal briefly. Um, he only just scores off the bench. You know, it's, it, was a, it was a pretty crazy moment. He completely bullies Mings. Mitchell whips it in supremely and then he uh, hits it on the half volley and instinctively shuttles it into the top left corner. What did you think of it, Bruno? I mean, it's just a brilliant goal. I think I touched on it earlier. Um, I think Mitchell really impressed me uh, on Sunday. Sorry, I was. I've always struggled with how he looks on the ball. He always seems a bit off balance, a bit like he doesn't look comfortable in the attacking third. And actually, he kind of had that moment in the build-up to that goal where he did one of those passes where he lays it back and sort of stumbles backwards. Um, he did it for Conor Gallagher's goal at Brighton as well um, in that schlup 
cut back and all that. But I don't know. Yesterday, he just felt much more adept on the ball. I saw him taking players on, and there was a little dummy pass before he laid it to Eze, and then the flick to Zaha, you know. Sorry, before the layoff to Zaha, you know. It was it was a really good performance from him, especially considering the scrutiny he's been under since uh, Wembley or... Um, or Leicester, or whenever it was he picked up that injury. So, yeah, I'm really happy to see that Mitchell um, has a good performance in him. I'm also happy to see that he's improving, because I was concerned for a bit that we'd seen Tyrek Mitchell's peak, you know, um, as sort of a defensive fullback and maybe not the, the best in a Vieira possession-based system. So it gives me hope that we can see his transformation to a more modern fullback or wingback um, in the future. Well, fingers crossed, eh? Ollie, I was wondering if I could just get your closing thoughts really on the game because there was so much to take in, so much to be proud of. I mean, certainly from my perspective, I had this euphoria after the game. I think a lot of people did. There was this kind of elation and relief. Not only that we got our first win of the season, but that the performance was so complete and a team we normally struggle against looked completely second rate. So how what, how did the game leave you feeling? What were your opening and closing thoughts on everything from start to finish? Because there was so much to take in from that. I was absolutely buzzing. Like, it's obviously our start of the season has been so difficult and it was very difficult to judge us after the Arsenal game where I actually, a lot of people praised us. I I didn't think we played that well against Arsenal um, and we still could have easily got something against a team who are obviously smashing it so far. Obviously Liverpool was great, but very different performance. It was kind of like, well, this isn't how we're going to play every week. So the jury was still out to an extent. I think it, we just looked really confident and really dominant Um at, from front to back, really, um, I think watching Eze like that was just was so good. I think the, the that that third goal was just great because that wasn't the only time we'd had that kind of link up all game, um, and like it, it just felt really really mature of us, a professional of us to just you know we scored the we scored the penalty and in another season we would have sat back on that and defended the clean sheet, but we continued to dominate the game. We scored the third goal, we killed the game. We could have easily scored another, you know, another one, another two, perhaps. I think, bearing in mind, Villa are a team who we should be going up against probably this season. Like they, they're kind of in our little mini league in the Prem. I thought, I thought, a first of all, I thought they were really poor, um, but I thought b that we looked really good at the same time, and that we looked dynamic. We looked like we had depth as well, and that was you know bringing like Elise on. It was good to see Will Hughes get get minutes. It was. Straight after the game, obviously, you always get a bit carried away. But after the game, I thought, I'm really excited about this season. If we can play like that consistently, I don't see why we can't get top half at least. Obviously, the consistency thing is the hard thing. So we try not to get too carried away. But the fact we've got that in our locker without key players like Elise, um, yeah, it was it was really, really exciting. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my first thoughts after the game was simply Azerbaijan. You know, Latvia, Estonia, um, you know, sort of the, the Europa Conference League tour is alive and well. Now, in all seriousness, it was, yeah, a very complete performance. I was, I was just elated by not so much just how we won, um, but the scoreline as well. It, everything was convincing from from the surface level to the depth. It was it was fantastic. Individual displays were off the roof. Great goals. So much to enjoy. And, you know. Football fans will hate me for saying this, you know, I hate myself for saying it, but it was a good day out as well. I just enjoyed the whole <laughs> thing pretty much after Wolf's equaliser, you know. Um, 
it will live long in the memory. It's one of those games that you really enjoy. I mean, I was at what well, I remember being at both Everton wins at home last season in the in the cup in the league, and it was that same kind of buzz. It was feeling like assured about your team, really believing in them, feeling like they're heading in the right direction, and just being able to be optimistic as a result. And I think this feel good factor is still sort of a a positive hangover from last season, but nonetheless, I'm not complaining. You know. I think we're all buzzing and looking forward to what's ahead and I couldn't be happier to be a Palace fan at this moment in time. I think it's really exciting times for all of us. So that is a brilliant way to end the pod. Thank you very much for your thoughts, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, Ollie. So you're more than welcome back anytime. But make sure to follow Ollie at Talk CPFC, I believe, right? Yeah, that's it. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. No, always been a pleasure. Um, you can follow us at The Palace Way on Twitter. That's at The Palace Way for all things Palace, transfer rumours, analysis, stats and more. Uh, don't forget to check out thepaliceway.com. We're stuffing it full of analysis, uh, long-form articles, short bulletins. It's a really exciting project, guys, and we're so delighted to have you along the way. Um, i once again like to give thanks to Bruno as well. Bruno, any closing things to say to the listeners? Just thanks for listening. Uh, we have so much fun recording these episodes, and uh, although it takes up my entire um, week editing them, uh, it's worth it. Yeah, Bruno's been a star. He uh, He's a maestro of editing, cuts out all the bits that don't go too well and makes sure my audio is not lacking. So I really own one. Um, we're really delighted to be doing this, but obviously, as you know, we're only three episodes in. Your support's always deeply appreciated, but we're very open here to criticism and feedback. So please don't feel afraid to, to tweet in your thoughts on what we could do better. I know I'm quite posh and so is Bruno. We can't help that, but you know we're trying to, we're trying to fix it, guys. Don't worry. We're not, we're not the Palace Posh Brigade. But... On a serious note, please do let us know your thoughts. We're we're always keen to have feedback. If you can, leave a five-star review as well on anything you can. It really helps us out. But I'll stop rambling on. Thank you ever so much for listening. Big thanks to Bruno and Ollie. And we'll see you in the next episode after Man City and probably the end of the window coming up as well. That'll be a fun one. So take care. Bye for now.